0: I am Angelina Pratt, the host of Empathetic Witness. Today, I have an amazing guest. I've been looking forward to this podcast for some time now. And she is Kalinda Laviolette. And Kalinda, can you tell me what band you are registered with? With the
1: Athabasca Chipewyan First Nation in Fort Chippewan, Alberta. All right,
0: ACFN, same as me. So this is really good. Um, All right. To get right into the interview, um, I would like to just open it up for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Give a little background information as to what you would like the audience listening to this to know about you.
1: Um, Where to start? There's So many things, I feel, as I've discussed with you in the conversation before. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a mother of six boys. My two youngest are special needs. Um, By trade, my career has been within the correction service in the Northwest Territories for the last mm, around 10 years or so. And the last couple of years, I've got into trauma training with Gabor Maté around compassionate inquiry. I've done a lot of various things since then. I've spoken at conferences uh, over the last few years. I've shared my own personal life experience story from where I was at one point in life um, to how I've grown since then, working on myself, getting to know myself and understand myself fully, my own personal traumas and such that kept me held back for so long and yeah, I like to share how I overcame that and show others that they have that potential as well and how this worked within my own life to get me to where I am today. I've, uh, I do beadwork and I do tutorials at times. I do workshops. Um, I just recently took part in a missing and murdered Indigenous woman convoy We also went off to another community to take part in a vigil that they had for Sisters in Spirit. I get involved
0: in many different things. Wow, that sounds really like a life filled with purpose. Tell me more about what the thought process was to get involved in the work of Gabor Mate, Compassionate Inquiry. Um, yeah, so tell me a little bit more about what, what was the first thing that entered your mind and resonated with you in terms of what his methodology is? You, I'm assuming you heard him on, on the internet, maybe YouTube or heard a lecture that he gave and you must have thought something. So tell me a little bit more about what you thought. I think I had actually been
1: maybe a year or so into my own sobriety. I feel that throughout my life, there's been a search for answers, trying to understand myself, trying to understand a lot of the things that I had been through in life. Um, I was actually at work on night shift and listening to YouTube, looking for something to listen to while I was trying to pass the time doing the night shift. And I came across a Russell Brand podcast with Gabor Mate. It was the first time I had ever actually heard of Gabor, but I liked the podcast title. It something or other to do with um, addictions and trauma. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I took a listen. It was about an hour and a half long. Everything that he spoke of really clicked for me, made full sense. And some things he shared, especially around our culture and our practices around healing, uh, nature and such, and how they play such a huge role and effect within our lives really stood out for me, uh, really captured my attention. And some of the things that he shared, I thought, how is this man able to do that? I've been trying to share some similar things of course, to a very small extent with this man. (laughs) I thought, how is he able to get this out there? And the way that he words it, the way it just clicks, everything is so easy to grasp. I really caught on, took interest, and he had mentioned his book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. So I jumped online and I ordered that right away. I got the book, I think, within a week or so, and I dived right in and... A lot of the content in there, the stories that he shares from his work within East Vancouver and how he went from being a medical doctor to seeing the issues that the homeless and addicted, um, those with alcoholism issues. And there was a lot of trauma underneath and how he started to dive into that work and take the time for these people, not just within the medical practice, but putting aside extra time to work with them one-on-one to understand them further That really stood out for me. So I guess soon after that, I really dived into a lot of his other work. I was looking for everything I could find book-wise, anything I could find online. And then I had heard, I think it was about three years ago or so, there was a conference happening here in Edmonton, the Knowing Our Spirits Conference. I believe that took place in either 2017 or 2018, Keynote speaker was Gabor Mattei. So as soon as I saw that, I was all over it. And I actually went through our First Nation, the Athabasca Chippewa First Nation, to find funding to be able to attend as I was living in the Northwest Territories. They approved me for this and I was, oh, I was on cloud nine knowing that I was going to get to go to this as I wanted to be in the same room as this man whose teachings I was following, which really clicked for me. Gave me a huge understanding of myself and so many levels of everything it seemed that I had gone through throughout life. So I went. I went to this conference. I was able to be there and listen to Gabor speak and teach in person uh, to explain his teachings and uh, addictions, trauma, healing on many different levels, and I really liked the way that he really integrates a lot of our Indigenous cultures in his teachings. Mm -hmm. That was something that I really connected to as well, and I just wanted to learn more. I got to meet him there. I accidentally sat next to him, actually. I didn't know it was him sitting there. He was the only man at the table when I walked in the room. So I got to meet him there one-on-one, and um, yeah, the conference took place, listened to the keynote. And within a week or so, I found out that there was a compassionate inquiry program that was going to be taking place. I guess this was the second cohort. Uh, it was still fairly new at the time. I applied to that, and it seemed to be a lengthy process. I needed so much, and such as uh, letters from my boss. How could this work be utilized within my workplace? Um I needed reference letters from friends, from family. I needed certifications. One of the certifications that I had that helped me in this process was I was already certified as a life coach and strategic intervention coach under Anthony Tony Robbins and Chloe Madanis. So that helped me hugely there. And yeah, I got accepted into the program and I dove right in and it's been an amazing year and a half, almost two years of Kabor's teachings and compassionate inquiry training.
0: Wow, that sounds, I mean, I can hear the excitement in your voice, and I'm sure the listeners will also be hearing yeah. just the excitement and passion that's in your voice as you speak about this learning journey that you're on. So, Kalinda, I'd like you to maybe tell me more about the compassionate process. Like, tell me, what is it about this process? What's the hook that got you to learning more to keep going? One of the first things that comes
1: to mind is, I think, um, well, for so many years, I sat with the belief, the thought that something was wrong with me. I was the way that I was because something was wrong with me. But through a lot of Gabor's teachings, I learned that, no, nothing was wrong with me. It was things that happened within childhood that I was stuck in basically. I continued to carry those responses, those adaptations to early childhood trauma throughout life and through different experiences, situations, people that I dealt with. And with the safety mechanisms, those would instantly come into play. And with compassionate and fiery, we also work with somatic experiencing. We work with not just the emotion, but with the sensations that happen within the body. And uh, with learning about all of that, understanding all of that, it helped me to really place, okay, well, this is why I react in such ways to such situations. This is why I minimize myself. This is why I keep myself small. Without realizing it, I was keeping myself safe as I knew how to do from a child, I was doing the best I could with what I had in childhood, but I continued to carry that on throughout life, and I didn't fully understand, or I shouldn't say understand, I didn't even know or realize that until I started to learn from Gabor, learn his teachings, read his books, follow along with other experts that he had workshops for us within the Compassionate Inquiry training with, such as um, Stephen Porges. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk, um, Peter Levine, Deb Dana, there's so many that I could mention that we actually get to have live workshops with who explain all of this, how the nervous system, the brain, uh, our reactions, why we react the way that we do, fight, flight, freeze and such, really opened my eyes hugely. And I had so many light bulb moments going off within Gabor's work before I even took the training. So many things clicked, so many things made sense. I was starting to unravel a lot of parts of myself and move forward in so many huge ways, growing in huge ways, which is why I had that huge interest with compassionate inquiry training when I found out about this therapy. Now I can be trained to do what Gabor does in a sense. Um, one of my things as well is I feel that having that life experience, I can relate to people in so many other ways, so many various ways, sorry. Um, Mentally, emotionally, physically, I can understand, I feel, and in my own thinking, I can understand how they may be thinking or feeling depending on what's taking place in their life. I used to hate sharing. Sometimes I would hear people talking about a situation that they went through and I would be thinking to myself, ah, I know what that's like, because I've been there too, but I wouldn't speak up. My thinking back then was, well, if I say something, they're going to think that I'm trying to be a part of the conversation or I'm trying to connect in that way. I used to think people are probably going to wonder, why does this seem that every situation this woman has been through? Has she actually been through it or not? Now I look at it today as there's a reason I went through all that I did. Something in life, even though some of it was quite heavy, something bigger than me was preparing me for the life I have now is the way I look at it. To be able to relate to and understand people and to get what they're going through, to be able to show them. And when I share my story, I see that as I'm showing them, you know, I've been there too. I was in that place, in that space, but I was able to overcome that. I was able to find my potential, find my gifts, find my voice and you can do this too. Not only that, but I can also help support and guide you. I can share tools with you. And if I can't do that, I'm connected to many people who do do various types of therapy work, and I can also guide them towards such supports.
0: I mean, there's so much information (laughs) there. And I just want to unpack it a little bit. What I hear you saying is you know, you were reluctant at first to share your own story. yes. But at the same time, you feel sharing your story will actually open up the connection to to other people. Because by sharing your story, you're able to help them through their their own journey and um, self-actualization. So... I, I hear that. I hear that you're, you were reluctant to, to open up at the beginning. You've been doing this for a while. And I I do remember, but I, I, I'm not exactly sure. So the question to you is, have you been in a professional capacity doing the training you were taught in a counseling session?
1: Yes, that's part of actually the program that i'm still involved in now i'm involved in a mentorship program towards certification as practitioner the compassionate inquiry and part of the requirements i I suppose you would call it uh practicum perhaps i do have liability insurance to do this kind of work one-on-one with people or in group sessions it is a requirement to be able to be a part of this program I have done one-on-one sessions with clients. I have um, a clientele, I suppose you would call them. They come back. (laughs) I often have people say in the very first meeting, the first session, how they've had huge enlightenment moments. They've had huge aha moments. I... I see rate right within a session, we often do it through Zoom, all of this COVID taking place, restrictions, so on and so forth. So we often do this through Zoom. So I'm able to see people, I watch for different things, the body language, breathing patterns, um, facial expressions, there's a a list of things I'm watching for as I work with people, that's one of the things I enjoy is I actually see the shift take place that's hugely rewarding in so many ways that shows me I was effective and I did what I was intending to do. I did my job. I helped them in some way, shape, or form.
0: Wow, that is really, really great. I think that, you know, that's the one thing when you're you're in a counseling session, you want to you want to get a sign that you're making an impact on the person with your words, with your with your energy. And uh, can you tell me more, maybe a specific story? No names, of course, but how this works. You know, what was going on at the time? What were you feeling as you're talking to someone? And um, what they said to, to let you know that this resonated with
1: them? Um, Well, with the work, and I don't want to go into complete detail here. That would take a long span of time, I'm sure.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But when we start off, we like to start with grounding exercise or some breath work. And I'm not only trying to get the client to relax, be calm, to be in a good space. I'm also, at that time, I'm connecting with you. We're taught to go with the energy and with the gut. And even though we are on Zoom oftentimes, like that energy and that intention is still there. It can still be felt when you're fully connected. And uh, yeah, we start off with that. I will ask questions. And again, it being called compassionate inquiry. Inquiry, of course, is being questioning and compassionate. Part of the training is that we learn to embody full compassion without any judgment whatsoever and to have understanding for everybody in the situations that they may, may be going through. Um, yeah, I will ask questions, I will ask uh, about your emotions, I will ask about the sensations related to the emotion as you share your intention for our time together in that that day, that space, that moment. And from there, I will continue to ask gentle questions. Um, I also like to remind people, too, before I even start a session with them and when I meet somebody for the first time, the way I see it is I'm a guide, I'm a support, I'm a helper. I'm here to help you find and pull these parts of yourself out, which, which can be a huge part, a huge first step of your own healing journey um I like to let them know that that time with me, that space is theirs. I am here to guide you, but yet that time being yours, you're welcome to stop me at any time. If something feels uncomfortable or if you're not in a good space, I ask them to please let me know if we need to take a moment or if they need to stop there and then I understand that too. Sometimes things get too heavy too heavy sorry, and we need that time to, Take a step back, take a moment, take a breath to process. I don't push anybody through that ever. Um, to me, that's important time as well, the processing. Um, yeah, and sometimes though in session, sometimes I find, and I will mention to a client as well in the beginning, that what you the intention that you bring to the table. I will try at times to bring you back there. I also try to keep you in the present moment. Sometimes, as people share a story, a lot of other things branch out. It could it could get quite scattered. We try to avoid that. So I explain to them. I may interrupt you, but this is why. This is where I'm trying to stay with you. Sometimes that can be difficult. It's different, always different, depending on who the client is, where they are, their awareness of themselves, uh, how far along they are in their own journey of understanding themselves, of their healing. There's just so many different factors that come into play. I often say that I can usually tell within the first five minutes or so what approach I need to bring forward and which way the session may go. So I kind of have an idea early on in the session of what may be needed and how I may I may need to try to lead this. Yeah, it's always different. And as many sessions as I have done, it's probably been a few hundred, if not more by now. I mm-hmm. still walk in at times thinking, oh, no, how is this going to go? Sometimes within the first couple of minutes, if it seems heavy, I think, oh, my gosh, Am I going to be able to lead this in a good way? I still have that all the time. We always have fears come up, right? And yes. wonder if we're going to do a good job or what's going to come up. And am I going to be able to guide them the way that I need to? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting process every single time.
0: Yeah. Well, let us go back a little bit to something you said. You said that um, there are times during the, the conversation back and forth with whomever you're talking to, it gets to the point where you have to embody full compassion. What Mm -hmm. does that look like? Tell me more about that.
1: As I've mentioned, like non-judgment, everybody, I swear, a lot of people look like they have it all together, smiles, happy things seem to be going on, but I've learned along the way in my own journey so many people have so many things that are going on behind the scenes that they don't share, that they don't speak about. So we have to keep that in mind. We never know what another one, another person is going through. So keeping an open mind for what we may be met with, what we may be dealt with in a session, and having the understanding of their own situations of what they may be dealing with. Um, giving them space, giving them a safe container to be vulnerable, giving them that trust, respecting them as well, or whatever they bring to the table, having respect for that. Mm-hmm. I used to find it very hard a few years back not to react to some of the stories that I've heard, some of the things that have been shared with me at times, still, not just at times, but still so they could be quite horrific. Some of them I I used to think, oh, my gosh, and I would respond in this way. I would look at you, you just shared something with me, and I would be like, oh, my gosh, how did you get through that? I I don't understand how you're able to carry on through each day. That is so heavy. That's so horrible, and, you know, so on and so forth. I've had to do a lot of work on myself throughout the training, and I feel that's one of the places I've gotten to now is – Stories are always going to be heavy, horrific. Not always, but oftentimes we are met with that. But I find I'm able to much more deal with that in a better way. I'm able to give you that full attention, that full space. I'm able to be there for you in that moment. Um, I've been met with some heavy, heavy things. I'm sure there could be even worse things out there that I haven't been met yet, and I do still at times think when that day comes, how will I handle that? Mm-hmm. But I'll probably handle it the same way I did with all the other situations as they came forward towards me. I was able to do all right with those and got through them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a huge part of it is giving that safe container, that trust, giving that space for them to be vulnerable, giving them a voice, mm-hmm. validating them at times. Um, letting them know that they're seen, they're heard, I understand you, and helping to unpack all of that heaviness that they're carrying and knowing that it's safe here. I'm giving you the safe space in this place in this time, and this is all for you. It's all about you. And this is my job is to be here to help you. Mm -hmm. Again, taking those first steps. And yeah, it's often quite heavy. I found that, People hear the word trauma, but there's so many other aspects that come into play around trauma. It's not just trauma itself. There's a huge list of things that are involved within that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, I as I'm listening to you, I really get what you're saying, you know, trying to be not judgmental and not have the person that you're with see you know, when they're saying something that it's huge, and you kind of like, whoa, okay, this is really huge, you know, but you have to maintain a specific calmness to create a space for them to be held in, so that they feel protected. So and not judged, I really get that. So I'm wondering, how does Gabor define trauma? A disconnection
1: that takes place within the self. Okay, tell me more. And I'm sure you're aware. And from my understanding, you've got some training around trauma as well. And um, what comes to mind for me is, you know, what could be quite heavy, difficult, traumatic for me You may deal with a similar situation, but you may respond in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. It may be not as heavy or traumatic for you, but one of the differences there is in that situation that I find extremely traumatizing, do I have a safe container? Do I have somebody there to sit with me, to give me an ear, a shoulder to lean on, to walk with me, to talk with me, to give me that space to to speak, to express myself, to be able to say, this is what is going on within me right now. I'm quite scared. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm hurting. Is there somebody there to give me that space, to share that, to see me and to hear me? And if I don't have that space, and if I have to hold all of that emotion, those sensations that come along with those emotions, and I've got to suppress them and hold on to them and stay in that either fight, flight, freeze mode, I may hold on to all of those facts much longer than you might if you have somebody who's there to give you all of that.
0: Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I get that. Like trauma is an event that happens and how you respond to it. So the story you tell yourself about that particular incident could Mm -hmm. either be traumatic or it can be, benign you know something not so so uh, traumatic so while you're you're studying about compassionate inquiry how does that translate into how you raise your children and how those skills maybe transfer over to how you relate to your your children
1: oh that's been interesting For many years beyond Compassionate Inquiry, I've been sharing a lot of teachings, knowledge that I picked up along the way with my children. Um, Compassionate Inquiry has definitely made a difference in some of that as well. I see in some of my boys, those that spend a lot of time with me, those that take the time to sit and talk with me, to share with me, to allow me to share with them. I see the difference in them compared to, I'll say, one of my children. <laughs> to him, it he brushes a lot of things off. He's a very open young man. He's happy generally, but um, he's very happy-go-lucky. But if he's upset with me, oh, all of that old stuff comes up, the blame, uh, it's your fault, I'm a victim. So when that happens, I see that there's still a lot of the old effects there within this child of mine who I raised, who I try to do things the same way that I do with my other children, but yet we don't have that full space and time together. And he doesn't really want to hear me. He's not at that place yet. Whereas compared to my other children who allow me to share with them, I feel we have uh, a much closer bond, closer relationships. My children overall, the majority of them, they're quite open with me. They know that it's okay to come to me when they're dealing with life experiences and situations that are too heavy for themselves to carry alone. And to be able to say, mom, I'm struggling here or I don't understand. I'm feeling this or I'm fearing that. So what's going on with me? Can you help me here? They know that they're okay to come to me and that I will do my best. I'm not always going to have those answers, but I will do my best with what I know and what I have. Uh, There has been times where I've even been able to tell my children, you know what, I can't figure that one out right now, or we are too close here.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Because, of course, as a mother, I'm still going to, in some situations, be a little upset depending on what they bring to me. And sometimes I can't be that space for them, depending on what the situation is. And that's the thing with compassionate inquiry as well. They're very adamant that we do not do compassionate inquiry with our close relations, friends, family, those that we're close to. It's highly recommended that we do not even attempt such things. Mm-hmm. I have tried to do this a couple of times with those who were adamant that they really wanted to try this workout. they heard good things about it. Uh, I kind of mentioned, it's not such a good idea It's not recommended within our training. They're pretty adamant that we don't, but I tried it anyways with their insistence and I've seen why, why we don't do this with our family members at all. And, uh, but going back to my children, I've noticed with my boys, I have a two-year-old and an eight-year-old. I've also got a 14 and 18-year-old, still a little young. Sometimes, the way that I react or respond to them or the things that I say or my own personal actions. I will find afterwards, after interacting with them over a situation, I'll be questioning myself the way that I did that or the way that I put that forward or explained it. Did I do that right? Did I just somehow traumatize my child? And um, with my two year old, Before I even started to learn really about Gabor's work, which was probably around the time, the beginning of the pregnancy, I knew some things already. Uh, I found that, well, in the pregnancy, I went through a lot of heavy, difficult situations and there were a lot of um, assumptions made around what my baby's child, or sorry, what my child's health would be like. He did have to have surgery. I knew this was happening. Uh, He has Down syndrome. I knew this was coming. I had a lot of appointments and I also had to be away from my family for a time. So this put a lot of stress on me, so much stress. But my thing was always, well, this baby is just a few months away from being born, but it could be at any time. I was confined to the city because of that, that he could be born at any time. So my constant thought was, You could be born tomorrow if you choose to. So I have to be in a good space. I have to keep that, the balance for myself. I have to keep an equilibrium. I have to keep clear energy as best I can and a a clear mindset as best I can. Because I don't want you coming into the world and the first emotions that you know are stressful ones, heavy ones, because that's what I'm feeling. The way I always saw it and... I feel it was instilled even more so throughout training is that when we are carrying a child, we're one being, we're not two separate beings. Everything that affects us affects that child, that baby that we carry within the womb, our energy, our emotion, the way that the child is being wired, its nervous system, its brain and so on and so forth. That is also based on what's happening with us as the mother in our environment around us that baby is
0: developing well can I just stop you for one second I just want you to just go back up a little bit when you had mentioned that you have a a child with down syndrome and you went through it really fast I want to give a moment to just Mm -hmm. sit with that for a moment and just be with that because it's a huge thing to have a child with down syndrome and you've been navigating this for a few years now Mm -hmm. but it's Interesting, you know, you you've gone, you said it almost like it's nothing, you know. And so what I want to do is just stop you a little bit, and I would like to ask you, what was it like? How did you feel when you first found out? You you had kind of an idea something was up, and you probably had an intuition about it, but When it became concrete and real, what did it feel like for you? Um,
1: I'm just on the thought of where you mentioned the way that I said it, as though it was no big thing. It may come off that way because he is my second child with Down syndrome. My eight-year-old also has Down syndrome too. So maybe I am in that place in a sense of, oh, this is my second time at this you know it's not my first time around this situation this issue uh been there done that (laughs) yes the second time around of course though it was a lot more difficult uh with my first child who has down syndrome he's eight years old now i did not know until he was 15 minutes old that there was possibility of him having down syndrome nothing had ever been mentioned uh yeah, I was not prepared in any way, shape, or form. Wow! Yeah, it
0: so it, it was an a surprise.
1: Oh, a huge surprise, and it was an interesting uh, day of birth for my son. He was born in the Northwest Territories, where, as far as I'm concerned, and I still hold this thought and belief, they're not as educated as they probably could be around special needs, Down syndrome, various. Uh-huh. special needs and disabilities that could come up with a child. Uh, I was made to feel as though I lost a child. I was. I felt like I was grieving this child that I had portrayed in my mind of how and who he would be mm. with receiving news and the things that they were telling me up north. Uh, Everything that they told me my son would not do, he did it all right from the first few months. Mm. But the way that I was with him, I was so adamant that you're going to be just like all other children are with or without a disability. You're going to be included with everything. Everything that we do, you're going to take part. You're going to be a part of the community. Everywhere I go, you're going to be there right by my side. You're going to be learning, experiencing, and growing I also give them a growth and positive and success mindset. Mm. It's rare that we use the word disability or Down syndrome at home. Um, I really push. I don't push him hard. I have to use a lot of positivity with him and I have to make things exciting. Mm. Everybody says, oh, people, children with Down syndrome, they're so happy. They just want to love you and hug you and cuddle you all the time. That's not true. That's a huge, uh, there's a word for that, not misconception, or maybe it is misconception. It's a huge wrong assumption of people with Down syndrome. If you saw my Dakota and how upset he can get with me at times, just because he's not getting his way, or just because he doesn't want to follow through with something. But then, yeah, um, Sage now, he's two years old, the baby. I had an idea. Sage was a huge surprise, as was Dakota. I thought I was done that four boys. But um, yeah, Dakota came along, thought I was done, and then there was Sage. And with Sage, I had an idea right off the hop that this could possibly be another situation I would deal with with Down syndrome. Uh, there was a test, I believe it was called the Harmony test, that you could take a 10 weeks pregnancy, 10 weeks gestation what it is is they actually just take blood from the arm it was quite costly as well um i wanted to know though so i paid the cost at the time and i think it was within two three four days i got a phone call telling me at 10 weeks just over 10 weeks i had a baby boy on the way and there was a 98 percent chance that he had down syndrome Of course, you hope and you pray and you wish that things would be different for this child. But at the same time, you prepare yourself. But even though I was preparing myself, I remember I ended up sitting on the floor in tears like, oh, no, again. Although Dakota, besides having that extra chromosome, he's a healthy little boy. He had really no health issues and everything that was thrown at me to expect with his life, his health. I've never had to deal with any of that. Uh, Oftentimes, children with Down syndrome, they have thyroid issues. And Dakota was on Synthroid. That was the only thing. And uh, I found when he was on the Synthroid, he was not happy. He was miserable. Whereas overall, he was quite content, usually a happy baby overall. When he's on this medication, completely different. So I started to wean him off. i I didn't consult with the doctors. I probably should have done that first, but I was experimenting, to be honest. I was completely experimenting. And uh, I'd have him on the meds for two, three days, then I'd take him off for two, three days, and I really saw the difference. So little by little, I started to extend those periods until he was off completely. Then we went in, and he had his thyroid levels checked one day, and they were actually normal. And they asked what I was giving him. And I said, well, honestly, honestly, I have not been giving him the medication for over a year. So he was about two and a half, I think, three years old at that time. So five years now, he's been off of Synthroid. And I was informed this past year by the doctors at the Edmonton Down Syndrome Clinic that Dakota was the first child that they had come across in all the years that this doctor had been practicing in this clinic with those who have Down syndrome, Dakota was the first ever to come off of his medications. They said that normally they're on them for life. Um, Sage now is also on Synthroid. They've cut his dose in half. And when they told me with Dakota that he was the first, they said, well, just wait, Um, I've got an intention to give you two that come off of the medication completely. But again, I think that's the mindset that I give them. I speak positives to them all the time because my belief is that whatever I feed my children is what they're going to believe about themselves and that in turn is what they're going to present themselves as to the world so I really build my kids up all the time I tell them Dakota is my beautiful and Sage is my handsome I tell them daily many times throughout the day how beautiful they are how strong how smart uh, even name body parts, their heart, their blood, their lungs, their eyes, their brain, you name it. I talk about those different body parts and how strong and healthy they are and how they sustain them in life, what these different parts do for them. But to me, I speak of them as there's no health issues there. With the Kodak and what I've seen so far and what I'd like to believe, it's worked. It's built him up. He's done amazing. He's a very healthy boy. So I do the same things with Sage. But um, when Sage was born, not sure if you were aware or not, but he had to have surgery. He was two days old. He was born with a complete blockage. There is a name for that. Can't remember it right now off the top of my head. But he had a complete blockage, I believe, in the intestine.
0: Oh, God! okay. So, well, that's a lot of challenging things to go through, because you have to be um, present, you know, with your children, you know, the news that you would have not just one Down syndrome child, but two, and then to keep positive at the same time, while you're raising them, I think that is really admirable. And it probably does go to your training and your journey of curiosity and seeking answers. Um, so I think that, um, you know, as we're getting close to the end of our our uh, interview, you know, we covered, you know, the compassionate inquiry, we covered the challenges you've had with your sons, and your just amazing outlook on, on this topic is, I think, a really good guide for other people, they may not have down syndrome children but maybe have other challenges and the model that you set out will probably inspire others i mean you're you're really quite um, just resourceful and energetic like that's what i'm getting from your energy like you're energetic you're you want the best for your sons you give them the positive outlook you practice that while you're communicating with them So as we're getting close to the end of our interview, I always like to end the interview with positive things. So I would like you to, you know, maybe we'll start with your sons, give three positive skills that you're giving out to to mothers out there that they can take home and start today. Um, Just three things. And then the second thing is, when we're talking about compassionate inquiry, give me an idea of if people are interested to connect with you on this, what they need to do to connect with you, where you can be reached um, and what social media you're at, that people can reach you and book an appointment. I I think this would be really useful for many people. Um, Just your determination to make a better life for your children and for yourself. And just the strength you have, like you really do embody the strength of a fierce mama bear. (laughs) You know, I think that you are... um, your sons are your world, and I really get that. It comes across through this this podcast, and I'm sure that listeners will get that too. So I want to help you out in terms of um, having listeners be able to connect with you and um, perhaps, you know, build a business relationship with you and you helping them th- with their journey. So.
1: Okay.
0: Um, Three things with
1: my children. One of the first things that comes to mind is uh, one of the teachings I've learned over the last few years is, as we heal ourselves, we heal those that come after and those that walk before us as well. And that's how I see it with my children. And I've also learned that what I carry, if I don't heal that, I'm basically passing on an emotional baton to my children without even being conscious or aware of that. So that was a huge thing for me. That's something that really stood out once I understood and embodied that completely. I did not want my children to go through all the things that I went through. Um, I often tell my 25 year old, if he deals with similar situations, I did that for all of us already. So why do you have to go and learn that tough lesson too? Mm -hmm. I did that and I shared that with you. So let that one go now. Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned throughout the years, too, that when children are acting out, there's a reason. I never really fully paid attention in the past, but now I know. Mm. If One of my guys are upset and they're not speaking out. Sometimes they need space, but sometimes they need us to come forward and say, what's going on? How can I support you? Mm. What can I do for you? What do you need from me right now? My children have learned to be able to tell me I need space. Give me space. I will come to you when I'm ready. And I give them that space. I respect that without wondering, what did I do wrong? Is mm-hmm. it, now it's, I'll give you that space. And yes, I know they know that when they're ready, I'm right here and I will do what I can for them. Um, and as you mentioned, my children are my world. Dakota and Sage, though, all six of them are my world, but Dakota and Sage, I see as they were the real true full-blown catalyst towards change for me having these two two little boys feeling like you know if uh, I don't take care of them that was one of the things that I always kept in mind if I don't take care of them and I don't do everything that I can for them to my full potential who else is going to nobody Mm. else is going to so I need to keep moving forward always and they're my push Mm. they bring so much happiness so much joy so many things to my life they enrich me in so many ways so My thing, too, is um, I told my 23-year-old son, before he was born, he and I had an invisible contract that was already signed that I was going to be here for him. I was his mother. I was to take care of him. And if I didn't do what I could to help him throughout life to guide him, then I was failing as a parent. This is my job. I accepted bringing you into the world and carrying you for those nine months and then leading you throughout life. So this is how I see it with all of my children. If I don't give them that guidance, that support, then, yeah, to me, I'm failing them as a parent. And that's just the way I see things for myself. I'm not saying of everybody. And uh, with how to reach me regarding Compassionate Inquiry, I am on Facebook. Calinda Laviolette, L-A-V-I-O-L-E-T-T-E. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only social media platform that I really utilize. I do have others, but that is where you can find me on my page or on Messenger. Or I've also got my email, J-A-Y-D-A-R-43 at hotmail.com. So that's jdar43 at hotmail.com.
0: Wow, okay, that's really excellent. Um what I really took from what you just this last bit of, that we as we come to a close is and I find really beautiful is the the contract you believe that you signed prior to your boys being born and that sounds to me like a spiritual contract. You know, so and and it sounds to me like it is a um not only spiritual, more, but it's moral, you know, it's a moral like it's, it's, it's probably the true purpose of your existence is to guide the young boys and, and help them navigate the obstacles that they're going to face through life. And to ensure that whatever is in store for them, that they will have the best foundation to deal with what comes up for them so they'll be able to respond in a way that won't harm them that they will be stronger for having you guide them and I I really get that in what you were saying Um, what I could ask you now we've got 10 minutes how do you want to end this interview what Maybe you, you didn't say, but wanted to say. Um, what words of wisdom you might want people to hear. And um, yeah, just that. So we've got 10 minutes. I'll let you speak with your heart what you want to say. I want people to really hear you. Come close to the your phone or whatever you're listening to this podcast on. This woman is so amazing. You need to hear this. Go ahead, Carlinda. You know, in all honesty,
1: I was thinking of writing this down Mm. earlier before we got online, but what it is, and I didn't, of course, I should have, I totally should have, but I thought maybe we would not have the time for it. But um, it's a teaching by A.H. Almas, A-L-M-A-A-S, And he basically says, he talks about in this paragraph about a part of us, which I like to think of as the spirit, a part of us that loves us so much that will keep nudging us in the direction that we're supposed to, we're meant to travel on in life. And sometimes our egos try to pull away from that part. We try so hard to push away from where we are being guided but that part of us will continue to nudge us and sometimes if we stop for a moment and just take space for ourselves and sit with that and reflect well what's going on here Mm -hmm. what i like to do is i like to look for the lesson the blessing or the teaching in all situations whether they're really good happy positive ones or even the heaviest ones it could be so hurtful, something that seems so frustrating, or what am I going to do? It feels like the end of the world, but to sit with those for a moment and just kind of reframe it if you can. Look for the positives and everything, or if it's so heavy, I like to call it flipping. Flip your thoughts, focus on a really joyful, happy experience in life, and just hold that as long as you can. Allow that feeling to fill you, fill your body, your mind, your heart, and sit with that. And then, go back, Mm. respond, rather than react in that moment, just take the time to sit and just think, okay, what can I get out of this here? What can I take away from this? How can I grow from this? And even asking yourself, am I ready to deal with this right now? And if you know that emotionally, physically, mentally, you're not, feel okay to say, you know what, I'm not in a good space right now. Can I revisit this later? That was one of the huge things I've had to learn to do for myself the last so many years i used to be one of those who i would you said something to me or did something looked at me the wrong way i was reacting Mm -hmm. i assumed things and i jumped with that so instead of assuming like the four agreements say you know ask questions don't assume don't jump to conclusions ask questions so then we're not sitting with all that heaviness and getting stuck in our heads as well Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i could probably go on with much more from there but i'll leave it with that one (laughs) for now (laughs)
0: Yeah, that is really amazing. I mean, we could definitely talk for another hour, just, you know, and I'm glad the way we we structured this interview, I'm glad that we talked about, about the compassionate inquiry at the beginning, because it set the context with, with the difficult things that you went on to discuss. And knowing that you had the training and and in compassionate inquiry and you apply that to yourself you're able to navigate this difficult uh situation with raising not one but two down syndrome children and i and i think and leaving it with the positive like looking at um How can we look at the positive? How can you flip the conversation that we have with ourselves to look at the positive and look at the reason behind what's going on? I think we'll leave the listeners with some encouragement that they can. If I could
1: share. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Just a thought that comes to mind, even with my boys, the two youngest that are special needs. um, It was a little heavy realizing I would now have two and I did contemplate many things. I had many things thrown at me, but the way I look at that situation as well, what makes it easier all the time, even to this day, if there's things feel heavy, I see the baby as that's my eight-year-old Dakota's baby. Yes, I birthed the child. I carried him. I brought him into the world and I'm to raise him for the rest of his life, but that's Dakota's baby. I'm told it's quite rare for a woman to have two children with Down syndrome, but yet I I lucked out. I was blessed with them, but I see it as Dakota lucked out. He was the one blessed with the baby. He will never, ever be alone, and he will never, ever be stuck with just me. To mm-hmm. me, creator of the universe sent him a friend for life, a best friend, and they'll always be together. So okay. that makes things like that easier to dealing with, two special needs children. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it that be- is... <laughs> that is so beautiful. What you just said, you know, that's his baby, his friend for life, having a sibling and, and a sibling that's going to understand what you're going through. So it's almost like um, he'll be a constant mirror for him. Right. And so when something is mirrored for you, you feel a connection to that person, that whatever that's going on, because it, it's like a response to you. So this is this will really, you're right, it's going to be such a beneficial gift to, to each other that they have each other and that they have you. Yeah. So, yes, so the, um, so we've got your, your, your email, we've got the Facebook where people can reach you. And you are taking clients, right? So you are, Uh, actively pursuing people to, to work with.
1: Yes. I was on a break for the past month, but over the next week or so I am definitely going to be starting sessions
0: again. Okay. Well, that's really good. And, um, like is just any last word, like you want to leave us with one word that, um, we can take home.
1: (laughs) Um, Gratitude. It being Thanksgiving weekend, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe we could reflect on all the things that we're we're grateful for within life um, Mm. today for the weekend, our families, and I'd like to say thank you so much for hosting me and having me here with you today.
0: Well, it was my pleasure. It was really, really. I was so interested in in interviewing you. I initially my intention wasn't to talk about your sons because it's really private and I thought I would wait until you introduced it and um, then it was okay for us to get go to that. I am really really grateful that you accepted my invitation to be part of this interview and um, I am coming to you from the Algonquin unceded territory. I know you are in Treaty 6 And I always like to give a recognition to Indigenous territory in my podcasts. I wish you a wonderful weekend. Hug those babies close. I know you will. And um, I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. I have no doubt it will be a success. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I will close off now, unless you have anything that came on your head that you wanted to say before we... (laughs) The only thing
1: I thought of is, is, as you mentioned my boys and how private that is, it's actually October is Down Syndrome Awareness Month. And uh, CTV is actually every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. local Edmonton time. They're showcasing Down Syndrome, or sorry, families of those with Down Syndrome. And myself and my children are actually going to be on an episode, though I don't know which weekend. It could be tomorrow, but we shared a lot of our story there, too.
0: Oh, wow. That's great. Well, when it comes out, maybe provide a link to me and I will put it on the show notes so that people will, once they listen to the podcast and if they enjoy the podcast, they can subscribe. And, um, so they'll be, they'll get notice of new podcasts that come through. And, and if they go into the show notes, if you send me that link and any other link that you, that you have, about your professional, um, I don't know if you have a company or if you're just doing this, you know, just um, not not in a construct of a company, but just person to person. Like, I don't know, do you have a company? I'm working on that.
1: That's in the very, very early stages right now. But yes, eventually somewhere down the road, I will have information on such as well.
0: Okay, perfect. And so whenever that happens, send me a link to it, and I will post it in the show notes so that people can. um, And any resources that you mentioned, if you can send me a link to those books and authors, I would like to post them in the show notes as well. So people can do their own research. Okay, I definitely will. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kalinda. It's been a pleasure talking to you this morning. It's been eye-opening, enlightening, and it's so good, you know, to interview somebody from Fort Chippewan and from my band, Athabasca Chippewan First Nation, because I've been wanting to interview somebody from the community, and you've given me this opportunity, and I'm so excited that we were able to do this. Thank you so much. Merci, Cho.